Welcome, Bird Gang. On today's show, must-see TV, the total package. That's just some of what is being said nationally about Kyler Murray after two games. All well-deserved. His numbers are incredible. However, there are some other numbers that need to be told, and those numbers speak more to how much better Murray is playing the quarterback position. First, though, better late than never, right? It's Cardinals Cover 2, Episode 470, and it starts now. Welcome to Cardinals Cover 2 with Craig Grealou and Mike Jarecki. Cardinals Cover 2 is presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. Going for Hopkins, one-handed catch and a touchdown! DeAndre Hopkins! Here's Craig Grealou and Mike Jarecki. Let's go back one week ago today. Despite five total touchdowns against a very good Titans team on the road, Kyler Murray did not win NFC Offensive Player of the Week. Quote, it's all good. Go back out there next week and do it again. He did, MJ. Four total touchdowns, completed better than 80% of his pass attempts for 400 yards. And yes, on Wednesday, Kyler Murray, maybe a week late, named NFC Offensive Player of the Week. Yeah, and you know, listen, Matthew Stafford, he his his quarterback rating, you know, obviously he threw for more yards, but Kyler Murray, you know, did have more touchdowns. I think maybe the interception maybe docked him, but there's enough to go around and we know how, you know, the NFC West, I'm sure Russell Wilson's going to be on that list at some point in time. Uh, Stafford, depending on what happens with Jimmy Garoppolo, but According to the Cardinals and the NFL, this is his fifth career Offense Player of the Week award for Murray, 2019 Week 6, 2020 Weeks 5, 7, and 15, and then Week 2. So he actually ties Patrick Peterson with five, and of course also Hall of Fame quarterback Kurt Warner with the most Player of the Week uh, awards for ever Cardinals player. Now, Larry has to have more than that, i got to assume. No, because no? Kurt Warner is the most wow. offensive player of the week. So this ties wow. the team mark as far as an offensive player. The fact that Patrick Peterson, and let's be honest. he was Some of those for special teams. Yes, okay, that's fair. Because the first year he had four returns. But you just thought, you know, a guy that, you know, shuts the opposing number one receiver now, at least for the first eight years. I would have thought he had a couple more, but that's interesting. I I just assume Larry had every single <laughs> record just because he played so long. Well, at this rate, and this is two-plus seasons. We're two years plus two games, <laughs> and if this extends into 10, 12, 15 years, which we all hope, if Murray wants to keep going that far, I don't see any record – for quarterbacks, passing, rushing, that would not have Kyler Murray at the top of that list. Yeah, and and you look at you know Kurt Warner, and you know you look at his the time here, and you know maybe you, you would think on paper he won a lot of, a lot of football games, but obviously he was very successful in the short amount of time he was started. Then Carson plays for five years and he gets fifty wins, but you're going to start seeing Murray whether it's rushing touchdowns and then you start looking at the the passing touchdowns, yeah, I, I would agree with you. And to me, it's more about the longevity. I mean, Jake Plummer was here for, what, three, four years, maybe even up five. But for the most part, if this is what happens when you have a franchise quarterback. Yeah, and it depends just on how much he wants to play. I mean, 
Tom Brady is the exception, not the norm. But if we can get to double-digit seasons, then yeah, like one where Kyler Murray goes personally, and then obviously if he's still here, that means the team is successful and we talk about the next step. Yeah, these individual honors during the season are great, but it's the postseason where you want to see your name in lights, if you will, because that means this team is in the postseason. Yeah, and if he has another good game, you know, again, probably you're gonna have to put up four or five touchdowns but you know you start looking at you know nfc player of the month and maybe tom brady because he's got nine touchdowns colin murray's got nine touchdowns now his seven passing and two rushing brady's got nine throwing so you like to see you know somebody get rewarded and and it's really for what you do over a four-week period obviously this year towards the end of the season it's going to be more of a five-week period because you've got 17 games in 18 weeks but you know, you just look at that completion percentage. And we always talk about year three, and we always knew that, you know, he had the arm strength and, and, and the accuracy. And, you know, I'm hearing a lot of people say, with well, the way that he's ball, spreading the ball out, he must be going through his progressions. And that could be true, but I also think he's so comfortable in this offense where he kind of knows where guys are going to be. And I, I do think you got to give the offensive line a lot of credit, including Rodney Hudson, because I think I wouldn't say that it's made it easier for him. But I think he's seeing things a little bit slower in the developing as he's throwing the football. First player in NFL history. Let me repeat that. First player in NFL history with at least three passing touchdowns and a rushing touchdown in each of the first two games of a season. And these numbers, these historical marks, if you will, are only going to continue. And it's gotten to the point now, last year it was about midway through. This year, it's right now in which people are talking up Kyler Murray in the conversation of players to watch. Dan Orlovsky this week on NFL Live. Kyler Murray is must-see TV. Aqib Tlaib on the Rich Eisen Show called Murray the total package. And Tlaib had an up-close and personal view of what Murray was able to do against the Vikings on Sunday. And he'll be on the broadcast this week at Jacksonville. And then I found this interesting. And again, we're talking about a small sample size. But Eisen asked Tlaib which NFC quarterback he would take if he needed to win one game. He chose Kyler over a Russell Wilson, over a Matthew Stafford, and over a Jimmy Garoppolo slash Trey Lance. And I... I can't find fault in that. You can call me a homer if you want. Maybe Russell Wilson, just based off of experience and been in those situations more than most. Matthew Stafford, just he's kind of in that own little bubble in Detroit. People just don't know how good he can be if given the right system. And obviously now that he might be in that right system, doesn't bode well for the Cardinals, but more on that maybe next week. I do like the fact that Kyler Murray is not only in these conversations, MJ, but is maybe at the forefront of these conversations. Yeah, and and I think, you know, because the fact that, you know, um, Tlaib was able to do the game. He was at practice last Friday. I'm assuming he met with the Vikings on Saturday. I don't know with COVID. Uh, but he was out at practice, and he got a chance to talk to a handful of players. And so he got a chance up close and personal. And maybe it's just how dynamic he is in the open field. I mean, Russell Wilson, he's Houdini. He gets out a lot of different traffic. He carries that team. And then Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, as long as he's got protection, he's got weapons there. They usually go running back by committee. So I, I can see that to where it's just not a guy that's going to sit in the pocket like Stafford and Garoppolo and make all of the throws. He gives you more of a variety of being that dual quarterback. 
Here's what Tlaib had to say when Eisen asked why or which quarterback, and Tlaib said Kyler. Quote, he can dominate a game by himself almost. No one questions his arm talent at all, but his pocket presence and leg talent is just as talented as anybody in the NFL. He can escape and keep his eyes downfield like Russell, or he can get out of there and run like Lamar. He's kind of both of them put together. He's the total package, so I'm taking Kyler. End quote. And this from someone who played the game, didn't play the position, but from a defensive standpoint, MJ, you're looking now at someone who views the game maybe a little bit different than a Dan Orlovsky, a Kurt Warner, a former quarterback in these talking head roles because he sees the game maybe from the defense to the offense. How is the defense setting up and then how does the offense attack? Whereas sometimes we're all focused on, okay, what is the offense doing? How are they lined up? And then looking at it from the reverse, how do they attack the defense? So it does give you a different perspective. And of course, defensive players, when you have a scrambling or a mobile quarterback, and I don't even, I don't even know if it's mobile because mobile to me just means you're mobile within the pocket. Straight ahead, backwards, side to side. Scrambling is you're literally rolling out of the pocket and trying to make something happen. And that, I think, is what we're seeing and being real impressed by Kyler Murray is not the mobility, but his scrambling ability. Yeah, and that's why I was so bullish on the way he looked in training camp. I mean, clearly this is his team. He knows the offense like the back of his hand. And I thought him and Cliff had their best training camp and makes sense going into year three. You know, and, and, and Wolf and uh, Luke get a chance to talk to Cliff on Mondays after he meets with us right around 145 on 98.7. And Wolf was – he was asking him questions about, you know, is there a defense out there that can stop you? And, you know, last year that mush defense and Cliff, you know, being tongue-in-cheek here, paraphrasing me, he's like, let him play that because hopefully they, they made adjustments. At some point, you know, the Cardinals are going to lose the game here. I don't know when wait, it's going to – they're going to lose the game here. Where, where's the at, optimism? At some point, I'm just saying. 1-0 each week, as Buda Baker likes I, to say. I, I understand, but at some point, I mean, I'd love to sit here and say, if you you know, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I'm just saying there's going to be a game where just like Brian Flores and Belichick came up with a different defense, and, you know, a lot of it's going to be staying healthy. But one thing that really impresses me, so let's go back to his rookie year. We know he was 5-10-1. and one. He was the, the rookie of the year. His average per attempt was 6.9. Okay, last year, we know he was 8-8, eight and eight, played really well in the first half, obviously banged up in the second half, 7-1. As of two games, small sample, 10.1. The only players that are ahead of him, Russell Wilson, 11-1, Baker Mayfield, 10-9, Stafford, 10-7. He is tied, average per attempt, 10.1 with Patrick Mahomes. Now, it's not like they are getting away from these wide receiver screens. They're just not throwing a ton of them like they did last season, and a lot of that was to DeAndre Hopkins. But, yeah, you do see Hopkins on the screen. A.J. Green scored on a wide receiver screen. Rondell Moore on the screen. But why that yards per attempt is so important is tells you where Kyler Murray is looking. He's looking upfield or the reverse downfield. He's he's not looking left or right and the dump off the short passes. He wants to attack. And I think it goes back to what you said. It's year three in this system, but it's basically his entire life within this offense as far as throwing the football and throwing deep. 
and hopefully what at the end of the season, not only is the completion percentage better, but when they break it up as far as parts of the field, we're seeing that 10 to 19 yard range increase substantially, not just the deep shots, which he's always been good at, and then obviously the higher percentage, shorter throws, but that intermediate passing game, which we discussed all offseason, that we want to see more accurate and just more attempts at those passes because 10.1, let's do the math, you know, first down's 10 yards. Well, he's attempting passes that give this team a first down every single time he cocks that arm and throws. Okay, let's go to completion percentage. Not to get you, uh, you know, in the weeds with numbers, it's going to give you a completion percentage first year, 64-4. Second year, 67-2. Small sample, but he has more talent than he's had over the last two years. 73-5. And he's coming off a game 80.3. Yes, and I think to what you said, the talents around him, the number of different weapons, he mentioned it in the offseason as far as the number of people he can throw the football to, whether it's a wide receiver, a tight end, or a running back, and that includes both Chase Edmonds and James Conner. Neither one right now, I think, really has stepped up as far as, hey, look at me, but Chase Edmonds is still getting targeted a lot in the passing game. More on that in a moment. But Kyler Murray, not only has he come into his own as far as a quarterback, still stuff to learn and correct, but I like where things are headed at least through two games because he is doing what we anticipated him doing, and that is, one, putting up incredible numbers, but more importantly than all of that, He's winning ball games because you can throw for 400 yards and lose, and at the end of the day, that that doesn't mean anything. I mean, you know, we all talk about franchise quarterback and this large extension that he is poised to uh, to get at some point, whether that's this offseason or the next offseason. Um, that's all well and good. You can throw for however many yards and touchdowns, but are you leading this team to wins and getting this team into the playoffs? That's what we want to see. You know, I was looking at this is the longest play for each of the receivers. Look at these numbers. Moore, 77 touchdown. Hopkins, 38. Edmonds, 36. Kirk, 35. Max Williams, 34. A.J. Green, 29. Those are the longs, okay? So, and I'm sure we can go back and hop, you know, what, four for 54 yards or 45 yards last week. Um, but the fact is they're, they're getting yards after catch. They're getting separation because of the line and the, the way he's able to move. And, you know, I've always thought he can stand on the right hash mark, make the throw across the field on that out route. Now we're seeing him go to the left and still be able to throw it. And one thing that I wanted to see, and you know, I was talk- Drew Stanton was in here a couple weeks ago, and he said it's hard even for a baseball player to literally throw as fast as you want to run. Sometimes you've got to slow it down. But he is doing a much better job throwing on the run. And he's had to maybe run a little bit more than we want him to as far as behind the line of scrimmage, as far as scrambling. And that was a big topic on Wednesday, just the off-schedule throws that, one, Murray is very successful at. We're seeing a lot of it. Are we seeing too much of it? it? Or, as one question was asked of Kingsbury, well, why don't you just do it more because it's so successful? It's not sustainable. And I do think that not every play is drawn up in which it, I mean, you hope that it's successful, but the defense on the other side tries to stop you. It's what happens when you are stopped. 
and how do you react as an offense? And Kyler Murray has reacted very, very well, as well as everyone else, the offensive line, the pass catchers. And it is something that, as difficult as it is to practice, you do practice, and I found it interesting when Kingsbury mentioned because, you know, how do you practice something when it's an off-schedule throw and you don't know, you know, how the defense is going to be and where you're supposed to be. But he talked about there are areas of the field that players must go to when Kyler Murray is scrambling, whether that is, you know, shorter routes or deeper routes. You have to give Murray an area of the football that he knows you're going to be at so he can look left, right, or downfield and throw the football too. If you're not in that spot, then he'll look to the next guy or the next guy. But he's got to have some options when these plays that break down, if you will, don't result in a negative play, but you try to make something out of nothing, as they say. Yeah, and and I and I think they've done a good job with the, you know, lining up in their in their certain spots. Of course, we focus on Rondell Moore and Christian Kirk where, you know, he's inside and he works really hard, and I just hope he can stay healthy because he's going to have a good year, at least targets and touches and possibly touchdowns. But uh, we're starting to see these guys more precision precision routes. Where we're not seeing guys line up next to each other, and I think that was the case when, when Kirk and Larry were down last year. Isabella was in there, and I think that's the biggest adjustment for him is pre-snap, you look know you where you got to go. Post-snap, if they change their, their defense, you have to make an adjustment. But I, I like the separation we're seeing. And I think it, they have uh, um, defined roles, whether Hop's on the left side, which 82% last year, green, and then we kind of have an idea where Christian Kirk can go in motion and Rondell Moore just takes one step behind the line of scrimmage and you could throw him that bubble screen and he's off to the races. So I do like the um, the way they're running their routes. Uh, still think they're going to get better. At the wide receivers and the uh, blocking game, you don't want uh, holding penalties, and I think Moore will learn that. And A.J. Green, he's just so big, he's just got to hide his hands a little bit more. You know what else I like, MJ? Winning. I'll tell you in a moment. First thing, though, <laughs> need to remind the Bird Gang about Folktales, episode number two, the night the goalpost vanished, September 22nd. That's right, on Wednesday, depending on when you might be catching this edition of Cardinals Cover 2, presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. But all you have to do is go to the Arizona Cardinals official YouTube page, youtube.com slash azcardinals. And yes, the night the goalposts vanished debuts September 22nd, a turning point in Cardinals history, a week two game against the Dallas Cowboys, September 8th, 1997, the Cardinals snapping a 13-game losing streak in the series as they beat the Cowboys in overtime 25-22. to And the aftermath or the importance of that win and the aftermath as far as the goalposts coming down at Sun Devil Stadium and being walked out of Sun Devil Stadium, a great Folktales episode coming your way September 22nd. All right, so we continue here on Cardinals Cover 2, presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Here's also what I like about Kyler Murray, and it's not the individual numbers. There are some other numbers, and I know you've been looking at this as well, but there are two two different aspects of this passing game that I really, really like. One, six different players have been targeted at least eight times. Rondell Moore, 13. He's the top targeted player so far. DeAndre Hopkins and A.J. Green, 12 each. And then you got nine for Chase Edmonds, nine for Christian Kirk, and eight for Max Williams. That, to me, shows me 
what Kyler Murray is seeing on the field. He's not focusing in on one individual, one specific pass catcher, i.e. a DeAndre Hopkins. He's looking at the entirety of the field, figuring out what the defense is taking away, and if the first read is not there, it's the second, it's the third, it's the fourth. But when you have six different players and you've got wide receivers, you've got tight ends, and you've got a running back, that's spreading the ball around. And I think that happened actually in the first half against the Titans. I think we were sitting there in the press box. It was either late uh, first quarter, early second quarter, and all of a sudden six different guys were, were had receptions. It could have been seven guys that were targeted, but at least six. And that happened early in that Titans game. Obviously, based on the score, they were able to move the ball down the field. Yeah, and it's just, I mean, you don't want to become predictable or show – a tendency, hey, we're always going to throw left. We're always looking at DeAndre Hopkins. If you have a more balanced offense, if you will, or a less predictable offense, then all of a sudden it makes it more difficult for defenses to try to stop you. The other numbers with respects to those six different pass catchers is what they're doing when they are catching the football. Those six individuals averaging more than 34 receiving yards per game. Again, Rondell Moore in the lead at 91. Then DeHop, 68.5. Kirk, 67.5. Max Williams, 47. Chase Edmonds, 36. And A.J. Green, 34.5. That last number, Bird Gang, A.J. Green's going to increase his yards per game total. And I think we saw some semblance of that last week against the Vikings. He is going to get more comfortable within this offense. But it's not just the target's meaning catches but what are you doing when you catch the ball and it's not just five six yards you're gaining substantial yards to where at the end of the game 34 receiving yards per game doesn't sound like a lot but when you have six different players again it goes back to how many different weapons Kyler Murray has and then if you're an opposing defense what do you do how do you stop this offense on a given week when if one guy's covered or one guy's shut down you got five other guys that are potential targets for a big day. Another thing that they showed some improvement on is offensively about 45.5% on third down percentages, and their opponents are at 29-2. Another area where they're really efficient is in the red zone. The red zone numbers, I, I don't have them in front of me, but I, I want to say it's close to 78 to 80% when they're in the red zone. And those numbers will go down. They'll fluctuate a little bit more. Well, they were 4 of 5 against the Titans in the red zone and 3 of 4 in the red zone against the Vikings. So only on two trips have they not been able to put the ball in the end zone. And on those two trips in which they didn't score 6, they at least got something out of that possession. It wasn't an empty trip. And you obviously want more touchdowns and field goals, but you don't want to come away empty-handed when you get inside the 20-yard line. So I think, again, we'll keep saying it until we can't, and that is a small sample size. Usually you want to look at the quarter mark or the halfway points. It's going to be a little bit more difficult to try to figure out when those marks are with an odd number of games. But let's look at after four games, let's look after eight games, nine games, and then see where this offense is. But it is trending in the direction that we all wanted it to be, and that's the upward trend. Yeah, in the first week, they got out to a good lead. Last week, they obviously trailed. So they scored 17 points in the first quarter, the opponents 14, 31 in the second quarter, um, 15 to the opponents, 21 in the third, 
14, and they've only scored three points in the fourth quarter this year. And obviously that was to help to get game winner, um, even though the Vikings did miss the kick. So uh, we talk about starting off fast, um, you know, coming out in that third quarter and trying to put some points on the board. They had the ball in the second half, and then the second play was that pick six. So, again, I like the fact that they're referring, putting that defense on the field and making the uh, – because if you stop them three and out or they got a punt in midfield, A, you want field position, but you score there, all of a sudden you've taken a possession away and you get the ball in the second half. And the results – are speaking for themselves as far as what Kyler Murray is seeing defensively and getting the ball out to his different receivers because let's look back at last season, MJ, at this offense, and we were all impressed. DeAndre Hopkins in his first season, 1,407 receiving yards. A great season. A franchise record-breaking single season for a pass catcher. That was number one. Number two on the team in receiving yards, Christian Kirk with 621. In other words, Hopkins had almost 800 more receiving yards, which was the widest gap between a team's top two pass catchers in the league. That can't happen. That's why in the offseason we discussed this team needed to go out and address the wide receiver position, find a true number two, not just to take some attention and pressure off of Hopkins, but to make this offense a little bit more balanced and the predictability and make it more creative, if you will, to where Murray is not just looking left and looking for number 10. And I think, to me, that's the significant difference between last year and this year offensively, even though we only have two games to look at. Yeah, but it's not like these guys are going to slow down. I mean, uh, you know, obviously when you get rookies, do they hit the wall? You know, clearly A.J. Green's got to stay healthy. Um, I like what he's done so far, and I only think he's going to get better with more targets and, and more focus on Hopkins and Kirk and then Rondell Moore. Um, you could say what you want about Hopkins. He never really misses games, so, I, you know, you feel comfortable. All right, so I looked at the Cardinals are 78% in the red zone this year. That's good. It's, it's going to go down just because the, the all of law, uh, law of averages, but at least – they're not kicking field goals and they're getting touchdowns for the most part. But if you have to get a field goal, hey, just play for field position. Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals as we continue here. And as you've noticed, Bird Gang, we're not talking specifically about the Vikings game. We've already turned the page on that. We're just looking big picture after two games. Now, we say all this positivity and congratulate Kyler Murray for winning NFC Offensive Player of the Week. There is some talk, and I completely understand it with respects to DeAndre Hopkins, with respects to the Vikings game. All of his targets, catches, and receiving yards came in the first quarter, and then he disappeared. What happened? Kingsbury after the ballgame. Yeah, got to get him more involved. Kyler Murray after the ballgame. Yeah, he's too good for us not to look his direction. And I completely get it. It's that balancing act here offensively because, yeah, Hopkins is too good not to get his catches, his targets in quarters one, two, three, and four. Yet at the same time, you're throwing to six different receivers. You're putting up 400 yards of passing. You're scoring 30-plus points for two straight weeks. So is there anything wrong? No, but when your number one guy is not quite your number one guy, that's where you kind of go, all right, well, let's kind of re-examine self-scout, if you will, because one, it costs a lot to get DeAndre Hopkins. You're paying him a lot, so you need him to be involved a lot. 
Yeah, you don't want to force it, but clearly I'll take my chances with Hop. Even on one-on-one coverage, they want to roll the, the safety over the top. He's a really good route runner. Probably doesn't get the uh, credit that he deserves catching balls in traffic. He's got this little silhouette thing when he catches it. Now he turns around so the, so the defensive back can't tackle him. But again, you, you look at Max Williams. I don't know the next time he's going to have seven catches for 94 yards. Now, I'll sign up for it. If, the, if they're going to leave the middle of the field open, and we've been harping on 11 and 19 yards, I'll take it. So, you know, the, the key is we listen to Hop. Now that he's he's got his nice contract, highest paid wide receiver in football, he wants to win because these guys, at the end of the day, they're going to be judged on what they do in the postseason. I mean, and he's been there. They haven't been able to go very far just because of the division and we know the AFC can be loaded at times but they would trade all this in sure he wants 1200 to 1400 yards he wants to make the all pro um, but I think that's a given for him whether he's the number one uh, targeted guy reception or yardage as long as he finishes in the top three or four um, but I at the end of the day but I still think you got to get him involved I want him engaged the entire game and when you're not getting the ball you're running your routes Come back to the sidelines. He's a pro. They can have a conversation like adults, but I, I you got to get him involved. You cannot go three quarters without throwing the ball to him. Two games, small sample size. If we're having the same conversation after eight games, after twelve games, then there's something that's not right. But I don't think this is this is going to self-correct. I believe. Listen, I'm, I'm I'm not really worried about it. It's just if they would have lost that game, besides the defense didn't you know show their upside by getting gashed. Why didn't you throw it to Hopkins? And you lost by a field goal when you had an opportunity. So I'm not worried about it. There's enough balls to go around. But he's one of the better wide receivers in football. If you, if you think that they're playing over-the-top coverage, well, they've done a good job in the past. Not as much as we'd like. Move them around then. Yeah, the narrative how it would have changed if that football went left as opposed to right and was good versus no good. Yeah, and we've we've heard enough press conference after the game where Cliff always, you know, uh, you know, gives credit to the opponent and rightfully so if he felt like he got out coached or, you know, his team got outplayed and you hear the word execution, but uh, he admitted uh, Kyler knows it. I think it's going to be rectified. I'm not. I'm not worried about it. But every week, as long as they're winning, if you're losing, then all of a sudden that's when you open the door for why did this happen? Why didn't this happen? But they're winning, and I think everyone's got the hand, their hand in the same pile. It's about winning versus putting up numbers. You can do that throughout your career. It's about getting to the postseason. Now this week probably presents the Cardinals with an opportunity to work on some of these things and maybe to see some numbers fluctuate or maybe get back to where we anticipate, especially with the DeAndre Hopkins. You look at this Jaguars defense under defensive coordinator Joe Cullen, they have zero takeaways, and that includes the preseason. MJ, they haven't even forced a fumble. They have just four sacks on the season. So they're not getting a lot of pressure. And they're certainly not taking the football away. And they've been susceptible to the deep ball. Teams are attacking the Jaguars' defense deep. And I loved your number about Kyler Murray against the Vikings. Five of six on attempts beyond 20 yards for 181 yards and two touchdowns. That's against a Vikings defense. What's in store against a Jaguars defense that does have Shaquille Griffin but is dealing with a uh, C.J. Henderson groin issue? 
Trey Herndon hasn't played the past two games. He might be available this week. So they don't have a lot of studs, if you will, in the secondary. Might we see some more deep shots this week against a Jaguars team that on paper, and while we've seen through two games defensively, just not quite good against the pass. Yeah, and you know they have a short week, and this is something new for Urban Meyer, but you know, this is a game where you, you, you they're going to leave on a Friday. I want to say this is the the only game they're going to leave on a Friday based on the time zone. They will play some East Coast games, including in Chicago in December. But for the most part, I mean, you like to get a lead in this game. And I'm not saying they're going to boo them. they got a rookie uh, quarterback. We know what Kyler Murray went through his first year. They only won five games. They're 5-10-1. And, um, and they're installing a new offense. I think, you know, over the last three years, everyone was clamoring for Trevor Lawrence. It's not easy. I don't care how pl- well you played in college. It's a different animal. And they really have to turn that roster over. So it's a work in progress. But if you can go out there and get a lead and then you want to pound that football, but I uh, you know, and I start looking at my keys just based on what you told me. Uh, you know, the Cardinals just aren't going to line up four or five wide. They could just to get a lead, but I want to see them run the ball, win the line of scrimmage, and then take shots down the field. Well, that's the one area that this Jaguars defense has been pretty good at, and that is stopping the run. Averaging 3.24 yards per carry in week one, 3.65 last week against the Broncos. So they are not shutting down the run, but they aren't giving up big yards on the run it's when teams have to throw the football maybe because it's a passing down on second and long or third and long and all of a sudden that's where this Jaguars defense is getting burned and as a result they have not won a ball game last week they were able to get ahead of the Broncos 7 nothing, but then the Broncos scored 23 straight points and was 23-13 so again this on paper from an offensive standpoint for the Cardinals a very winnable ball game and a game in which, yeah, you might see another 400 yards worth of offense, maybe even a 400-yard passing game from Kyler Murray, and certainly better than 30 points on the scoreboard. Yeah, and and you know, I was I was driving to the stadium, and I was listening to uh, Sirius XM radio, and I was listening to that game. They go through highlights, and they scored early in that game, a 25-yard touchdown pass to Marvin Jones. You're thinking, all right, maybe this will give him some some momentum, and then you read some of the stuff coming out of Jacksonville. And they're saying when it, when Trevor Lawrence has to throw to the sidelines, the ball is sailing a little bit. Is is he feeling the pressure? Is his feet not set? So there's a lot of things that go into it. But at the end of the day, I just don't know if they have the roster to compete for four quarters. But hey, it's the NFL, and you know, you know, you look at Urban Meyer, and you know, he obviously was in retirement, living the nice life, and now he's got to deal with this. But it, it's their first year. He's got a long-term contract, so it's going to take some time. But you know, you like to see – what did you – you pointed out on one of our prep sheets, 17 in a row? Dating back to last season, they lost 15 straight. So they won in week one last year? Yes, and then lost 15 <laughs> in a row. So it's a 17-game losing streak dating back to last season. Okay, that, I just want the W. <laughs> I ain't worried about 400 points, 38 points. Get the W. I know it sounds – it's the NFL, though. I mean, we can't predict one game where – Cardinals could have got off to a slow start or the defense gives up. And maybe that last week was a testament to how the defense played in the second half. But and, and there's no trap game. I know they play the Rams next week. This team is focused. What happened last year, they're, they're not going to get ahead of themselves, and nor should they. No, and you look at the defense and – you know, you're trying to find areas to exploit, and obviously we just discussed it's the secondary, but 
the linebackers, Miles Jack, who's been in this league for a long, long time and leads the team in tackles. And then I found this interesting when I was doing some uh, Jaguars prep. The lone defensive starter left from the team that reached the AFC title game in 2017. MJ, that's that's not that long ago, but then in the National Football League, maybe that's uh, light years ago. But 2017, to me, doesn't sound like much, but we know in the NFL it's like constant turnover, 30 40 50% of the roster each and every year. So there's not much veteran experience wearing a Jaguars uniform still on that defensive side. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad Clayus Campbell's no longer there. <laughs> now, that would have been the AFC. So that's when they pushed the Patriots? Correct. And, and Bortles played well. Remember how he ran the ball? I don't think he threw for a ton, but they ran the ball. If I remember correctly, the Jaguars were poised to get to the Super Bowl until Tom Brady did Tom Brady things, and all of a sudden it was the Patriots back in the Super Bowl, and the Jaguars were like, okay, well, it's a start of something, and they just haven't been able to get over the hump. They did draft Josh Allen a couple of years back, and for a while there it was, okay, who's got the better Josh Allen, the Jaguars or the Buffalo Bills? We know what the answer is now versus what it was back then, but Allen's got two sacks this season. He had two and a half over eight games last season, so injuries hurt him. But as a rookie, ten and a half sacks, so he is capable of getting after a quarterback, and that's something that the Cardinals need to pay attention to because offensively that line against the Vikings was not great, at least by what we saw. Now the metrics play that out, and tell us what we saw. It was exactly what we saw, but I do think it's an opportunity here for the Cardinals' offense to get rights, if you will, and continue what they've done so far, and that's be the number two offense in the league and the number two scoring offense in the league. Yeah, I would think when they're they're game playing, the key guy is going to be Josh Allen and Miles Jack. Just from Miles Jack, guy the leading tackler, as you pointed out, and then. Josh Allen can rush the quarterback 10.5, as you mentioned, as a rookie, 2.5 over the last eight games last year. And they may be in situations where a team aren't throwing the ball as much. So you just got to make sure they get positive yards on first and second down. Don't get in those third and tens, third and twelves, because that's where they're going to try to tee off. Yeah, we'll get more into this matchup in the coming days when we look at what the Cardinals defensively, one, need to correct. I think we all understand that it's the rush defense. And then what they will be up against with Trevor Lawrence under center and going into his third year as an NFL quarterback. But as we continue here on Cardinals Cover 2, presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, just a, a funny little notes or a moment earlier on Wednesday with head coach Cliff Kingsbury. Sometimes we do see Kingsbury get out of his shell, if you will. Open up, show a little personality, yeah. laugh, smile. Not be so stoic. That's what happens when you win. That's true. Maybe he's a little bit more comfortable, which is good, and more comfortable around everyone else, even though he's been a head coach before, but year three for head coach in the National Football League. I, I, I mean, I've I said it before, and I'll say it again. He was night and day in training camp. And, and again, I think after the season, everyone gets evaluated. Hey, we want to see this and this, and he was accepted to it. Obviously, we all have bosses in life, but he's been a different coach. I think his, his media sessions, he's really not going to give us anything on injuries unless the injury report comes out. But he's been more engaging. But I just think he's more comfortable in his skin. 
and he's comfortable with his team. And, and, and these guys, they really respect him. He's not going to keep him here all day. They, they practice early. So it's not like they're in meetings for five hours and just you know keep looking at their phones or something like that. So I think he's made a lot of progress. Yeah, and of course, as you said, it helps when you win. But And this is a great storyline this week. Cliff Kingsbury, once upon a time, college coach, first-year NFL coach. Now you got Urban Meyer on the other side, a very successful college coach and now first season in the NFL. So that was the premise of this question about, and I think they were trying to angle you know, what advice or what you went through versus what Urban Meyer is going through and can you understand and relate to what they're doing or what they're going through, even though two different teams. Well, before the question was finished and the premise was, you know, two college coaches and Kingsbury interrupted the question and joked two wildly successful college coaches. Of course, the narrative around Kingsbury, sub 500 at Texas Tech. And you look at Urban Meyer, 187 and 32 in college with a couple of national championships at Florida. So, yes, every now and then. Cliff Kingsbury can joke and have some fun, and there was some fun had on Wednesday. Yeah, and and, and he was also asked, but you know, because people are trying to figure out the the zero, um, um, the zero coverage, and you know they work on it a lot. And you know, Kyler Murray, if the, if the, he sees something, and then they're like, wouldn't it be better if he had a different play? He's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have an ego, and Cliff will be uh, one thing I like about Cliff. He'll tell you where he, he got that play from. Some players think he's got it up. You know, a lot of his plays are from somewhere else. That's a copycat league, and when you ha- have dissected offense like he has, even playing as a backup quarterback, being in the league, you learn so much stuff. But I, I think, you know, he's adapting to the NFL game now. So I didn't realize. I, I thought there'd be more. So this is the only Week 3 matchup that features quarterbacks who were drafted number one overall picks. The only active quarterbacks that were drafted overall, Matthew Stafford, Winston, Goff, Mayfield, Murray, Burrow, and Lawrence. I would have thought there'd be more. I know Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. Uh, Jackson was the last pick, the last pick for Ozzie Newsome. You know, Trubisky went early that year. Um Deshaun Watson, but it's interesting. That's the only active quarterbacks that were drafted number one overall. I would have thought it was more. And it's funny because you say that, and Kyler Murray is now the veteran and yeah. all of this. Not which, even Josh Allen. Which which still is kind of <laughs> mind-boggling because he is still so young, but here he is year three, and we're talking about him going ahead and maybe having the edge as far as quarterback matchups. When it, it, it's, it's very quick. You become experienced, and you become, quote-unquote, old very quickly in the NFL. Yeah, and then they got baked this year on the road, Baker Mayfield. And that would, that would be round two? Correct. And no one's more excited about that matchup than Kyler Murray, I believe. Or Baker Mayfield. Well, just to try to even the, up that matchup. Yeah, because it, it, I don't think they talk a ton during that week, but just watching the commercials and just the personalities and, you know, Kyler's a little bit more reserved. And, and I think Baker's definitely uh, matured under Kevin Stefanski. So it'd be interesting to see that second matchup against the Browns. Cardinals cover two presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. A couple of quick roster notes. It was good to see Antoine Wesley back on the practice field during the open portion earlier on Wednesday, activated from the reserve COVID-19 list. So now you have six wide receivers. I don't know what this is going to mean moving forward. Obviously, as we detailed here on the show, Kyler Murray likes what he has offensively as far as weapons and his 
four wide receivers that he has that are active and participating on Sundays. Yes, Andy Isabella is active, but he has not seen the field with respects to an offensive snap. Um, and I, I don't believe he's seen an offensive snap. I know he doesn't have any offensive statistics, but right now I don't know what that means for Wesley being active or inactive. And then, you know, he did uh, was on the reserve COVID-19 list. So just how much does he need to get back into football shape before he can start contributing? Well, normally the Cardinals dress five uh, wide receivers on game day. So if, if Wesley would have been on the opening active roster, I don't know how much he plays on teams, but – I still think Andy is your fifth guy. You could have an injury during the game, you know. Uh, you, you hope to, but let's be honest. I mean, AJ Green's up there. Christian Kirk has to stay healthy. Rondell Moore can he survive a 17 game se- uh, season? So, um, and Andy is playing on special teams. But if they really wanted to go five wide, he would be on the outside. Now you can go four wide and have Chase Edmonds in the game or a tight end. So there's other ways to do it. But if you if if when Keyshawn Johnson was here, and the way Wesley was, the way he came back in camp, if they were only going to dress five, uh, then I would think he had an option. But I think they really like Isabella's speed on the outside. Unfortunately, you just right now they have a good situation with the top four guys and a couple tight ends and a couple running backs. Again, uh, I think there's enough balls to go around, but I, I think they're. Re- but I really think they can play Andy. But right now it's more ten personnel, four wide, and a running back, and they're really fast in that formation. And it's the one thing that separates Wesley from everyone, but AJ Green, and that's his size, the six foot four frame, the long arms, and being that big target. So again, we'll have to wait and see what happens on Sunday. The other roster note, and this deals with the practice squad, and the only reason I bring it up, I'll explain, but cornerback Mazzy Wilkins has been signed to the practice squad. Six feet tall, so he's got some size. Played in six games with the Buccaneers over the past two seasons. An undrafted rookie free agent out of South Florida in 2019, and I bring this up because as you look right now, five cornerbacks on the roster, and in each of the past two weeks, we've seen Antonio Hamilton be elevated from the practice squad of the active roster and was pressed into duty this past week because Marco Wilson hurt his ankle and we don't know quite his status, what it's going to be this week. So a possibility that Antonio Hamilton could be once again elevated this week or maybe someone else as far as that cornerback position because I do think they like Tay Gowan, but that's kind of more for the future. And Luke Barku, I'm not exactly sure what his issue is, and I don't even know if issue is the right word, but he hasn't been active either these first two games, which has forced the Cardinals to elevate someone from the practice squad. Yeah, and we'll find out more on Marco Wilson. Uh, that could be day-to-day. We'll, I guess we'll learn more throughout the, uh, the week with the injury report. But, you know, I look at it, though, you also have Russell Douglas – so they have some guys that still have, on the practice squad. Still yeah. on the practice squad, and we know they can make a move. But it looks like Hamilton probably won that competition just based on him being active. So again, you got your top three guys: Murph, Alford, and then Wilson. You have to have a fourth out there, just like what happened last week where Wilson couldn't finish the game. Yeah, and that's why you have an Antonio Hamilton or Rasul Douglas. So we'll see. Once again, just just some notes to kind of pay attention to as the week progresses, as we get closer and closer to week three. And again, that game kicks off at 10 a.m. Arizona time, so 5:30 a.m. Pre-game coverage begins on the Arizona Cardinals radio network. And once again. Folk Tales, episode number two, The Night the Goalposts Vanish, will debut on September 22nd. That is today, Wednesday, 
Although, if you're catching this episode of Cardinals Cover 2 later after the fact, very easy. Go to youtube.com slash azcardinals to catch that episode. And don't forget about episode one, Legendary Locker, detailing Pat Tillman's locker and how that was preserved during renovations to the team's practice facility. But the night the goalposts vanish looks back at a game on September 8, 1997, a Week 2 contest against the Dallas Cowboys. The Cardinals won that game in overtime at Sun Devil Stadium, and the fans came out onto the field, brought down the goalposts, and took the goalposts out of the stadium. And it's a great story on just how much a Week 2 game can mean when it's against a Dallas Cowboys, when that is, one, America's team, and for a long, long time here in the state of Arizona, the team everyone watched on Sunday because there was no pro football team in Arizona. Yeah, I want to say also the Denver Broncos maybe on the CBS affiliate. But, yeah, 13 straight, and uh, I think you're going to be uh, uh, interested in some of the comments that Troy Aikman made about the Cardinals and how the Cowboys – you know, have treated when they come to Arizona maybe as an extra home game. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to that. But yeah, I mean, it was just like, it's kind of like the Cardinals and Rams since McVay's been there. <laughs> We'll have plenty of time to discuss that. Maybe that maybe that can be a future Folktales episode in maybe like 10, 15 years. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I also remember when they went there and beat them in the playoffs. That was awesome, man, because the Dallas Morning News, and I don't know if David Stevens was working there or here. He was a sports columnist, but the headline, the new team in the NFC East, the Cardinals, and they knocked off the Cowboys in a playoff game. It, oh, was, yeah. it was fascinating. By the way, Bergang, we're dating ourselves because NFC East, that's right, the Cardinals once upon a time, yeah. long time ago, were in the NFC East. Yeah. Now they're in the rightful spot of the NFC West. But yeah, that's, And then it got a little twisted when we went to Minnesota. Yeah. Details. Exactly. They, they were pumping in cloud, uh, crowd noise. Again, Episode number two of Folk Tales, The Night the Goalposts Vanish. Go to youtube.com slash azcardinals. That episode debuts on September 22nd. And on that note, we will put a lid on this edition of Cardinals Cover 2, presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. As always, special thanks to our executive producer, Jim Omohundro. For Mike Jarecki, I'm Craig Riolu. We'll talk to you next time here on Cardinals Cover 2.